Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Today we're going to remain in Acts and close out this series looking at the story of Simon the sorcerer, the story of Philip. I want to look at how the power of the Holy Spirit helps us against the temptation of ambition and pride and falling away from our faith. Today's message is called, Don't Poison the Power. Don't Poison the Power. You know when something is created and then it becomes tainted? You know, something is created, it's perfect, it's a masterpiece, and then it gets ruined, it gets poisoned. For me, I think about, when I think about an incredible cake that is baked, and they've got the frosting on it, and it looks so good, and then they put coconut on it. It's like you just poisoned. You poisoned this. You ruined it. I'm preaching to somebody today. You know, I think about the different shows, TV shows and movies we could watch, right? And we watch it like, oh, this show is getting so good. And then they ruin it with some inappropriate content, like Jar Jar Binks, something like that. That's just like, why did you put that in there? You've ruined this for me. I think about a a wonderful summer evening when you're out in the campfire, bonfire, and you're enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, oh, what was that? Oh, oh, mosquitoes are everywhere. They're biting me. They ruined the time that I had outside, right? All these different things that can ruin, they can poison the power. Uh, Today, I want to look from Acts chapter 8. And how we tie into the story from, from last week, Acts 7 is when Stephen speaks to the mob and he's killed. And it says at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8, it says, Saul witnesses and approves of the killing of Stephen. The first uh, few verses of chapter 8, it talks about the persecution of the church. It shows Saul dragging out Christians from their homes to be imprisoned or to be killed. And thankfully, we know from last week that God got a hold of Saul's life. You see that in the next chapter. But let's look today at what happens in the city of Samaria as the gospel is is moved. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Let's start by looking at these first five verses. People were fleeing from persecution in Jerusalem And it caused followers of Jesus to scatter to different regions. Imagine this. The persecution of the church is actually what caused the spread of the gospel. How many know that what the devil intended for evil, God meant for good? Because of persecution, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was moved through different regions of the world. The second thing I want to point out is that it talks about the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word. I want to explain that word preaching there is actually where we get our word for evangelize. 
So when it says preaching, it's talking about simply sharing the good news of Jesus. And I want to be intentional about pointing this out because a lot of times we see things in the Bible that I, we think are beyond our ability. We say, oh, I'm not meant to preach a God. I'm not meant to preach a sermon. I can't do a three-point sermon. What this means is they were simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And you may say, I can't preach a message. That's not for me. But you can share your testimony. You can tell someone what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Amen. That is not beyond your ability. And so when we're talking about spreading the gospel, it is through our testimony and sharing with people, do you know what Jesus has done for me? Do you know what he did for you on the cross? It can be as simple as that. The word of God spread through the followers of Jesus sharing the good news. And one of those disciples, his name was Philip. Philip was a, a Hellenist, just like Stephen. That simply means he was a Greek-speaking Jew. He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but God had a plan to use him powerfully so that people, it says all the people were paying attention to him in unity and the demon-possessed were being delivered and the sick were being healed and it says there was joy in the city. What came as a result of the Holy Spirit? One of the gifts, one of, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy began to invade the city. I begin to think, what would it look like if our city were to experience this type of joy? This type of what I would consider to be revival. Joy in the city. When you rock around the city, when you walk through malls, do you experience joy around the people around you? Maybe sometimes. But I think more, more often than not, it's more like Buddy in New York City trying to talk to people. And no one giving him the time of day, right? Can we be honest? And for a minute, I paused. I said, what would our city look like if we as the church would pray for it to have an Acts 8 type of encounter with God? That this city would be awakened, that we would see healing take place and deliverance take place in our city and joy take place in our city. And I thought, could we, before we continue on in this message right now, could we as a church with faith pray for the city of Marysville to encounter God with an Acts 8 type of encounter? Amen? Can we pray together? God, I pray right now for our city of Marysville. I pray that there would be an Acts 8 encounter in this city where people would hear the good news of the gospel, that they would have soft hearts, their hearts willing to receive the good news. I pray people would be delivered from possession. I pray that you would strengthen people. I pray for healing over bodies. I pray for healing over minds. I pray for the joy of the Lord to erupt in the city and a great awakening to the goodness of God. We believe this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. I haven't even started the message really, but we're just, we're just getting started. But Acts chapter 8. So much is going on right here. We see joy. We see healing. We see deliverance. But in verse 9, we see the word, but. Read with me from verse 9. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. 
They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. The devil will always try to raise something up to distract you from the genuine, authentic power of God. The enemy will create opportunities for you to shift your focus from God, to prioritize something above God. There will always be something trying to position itself to be more appealing than God. Simon came along claiming to be someone great, claiming to be the power. That's what our sermon series has been about, the power. And he distracted people from God. We're going to look at three poisons today, and the first one is the poison of distraction. I believe we as a society are at the peak potential of distraction in our lives. How easily can we get distracted away from what God is wanting to do? We could have the joy of the Lord rising in our hearts and yet in an instant be distracted by someone else be distracted by something else, right? I don't want to point the blame at anywhere, but I would say for myself, we can easily get distracted by our phones. It's a tool and it's also a trap. It's a tool and it's a trap. To be focusing on God and then see, oh, breaking news, this just happened. Oh, someone just texted me. Oh, someone liked my photo. Oh, who didn't like my photo? right? We get so easily distracted. It's funny, typically we get distracted by things that are of lesser importance, right? We don't say, oh, I got distracted by praying to God. We don't say, oh, I got distracted by doing work. I got distracted by focusing on my family. No, usually a distraction is things of less important than the more important things in life. The phone is a tool and it's a trap. There are distractions that are frivolous. There are minor things that attempt us to consume major parts of our day. I try not to look at my screen time. I'm like, I don't even want to know. I know it's bad. I know I need to be better, right? We are distracted at work. We are distracted at driving. We can get distracted in our time of rest, did you know that even on your day off, your, your day of rest, whatever that looks like for you, you can get distracted and not rest productively? What'd you do today? Oh, I just kind of laid around. I just kind of looked at my phone. I'm not saying there, there aren't times that we can veg out, but if that's your only type of rest, you're never going to fully recover. There are ways to rest well and productively, and there are ways that just keep us going. We just stare at the screen. We get caught up in distractions. And the city of Samaria in this moment, they are distracted by something that was of lesser value and lesser power than the God who had been healing them and delivering them. Simon was of lesser value, although he was claiming to be great. It says this Simon, just give a little background. Simon is the magician. He's the sorcerer. He's not the type of magician you're inviting to a birthday party. Let's put it this way, okay? The type of magic we're talking about, this is, this is assisted by demonic powers, 
Okay? This, is, this is powers associated with the occult. This is very dangerous. It's very powerful. And the people were distracted by that power that pointed them to a person rather than to their Savior. It says, it says they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. However, just like there is a but to start verse 9, there's a but to start verse 12. Read verse 12 with me. It says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I think this is my favorite part of the story, because while Simon, he had power, he had influence and the ability to amaze people, but God, through Philip, preached the good news about Jesus Christ, and the people believed. It says even Simon believed. Even Simon was willing to follow Philip because Simon had an earthly power, but Philip had a greater power that even amazed Simon. You see, the, the word power in the Greek, it's, it's dunamis. It was translated when it says Simon, as, known as the power of God, but that word in the Greek dunamis can also be translated to mean miracles, signs and wonders. And so when it says that Philip performs signs and great miracles, that word miracles is the same for power. It's as if to say there was a great power that even amazed Simon the Great. You see, friends, I, I want us to take very seriously the power on this earth because it's real. But just because we take it seriously doesn't mean we have to be afraid of it because there's a greater power. There's a greater one who's inside of us greater than he that is in the world. Amen. I love how C.S. Lewis would put it in the Chronicles of Narnia. He would say the enemy didn't know there's actually a deeper magic. There's a greater magic. There's a greater power in the power of Jesus Christ. There's a power that has no rival. There's a power that can cast down the powers of this world because God can choose, the Bible says, he can choose the foolish things to shame the wise. He, he can take the weak things in this world to shame the strong. God can choose what is low and despised in this world. He can choose what doesn't even exist to nullify what does exist because no person can boast in the presence of God. Do you believe that today? It's pretty quiet. That's a powerful word right there of what our God can do. He can take what doesn't even exist on the physical eye to nullify, to cancel what we can see in front of us. There's a greater power that even Simon chose to believe and be baptized. Read what happens next in verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem, when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. This is a very unique instance 
in the Bible in which the gospel advanced beyond the Jewish, the Israelite people, and the Lord waited to give them a manifestation of the full power of the Spirit until it could be witnessed by Peter and John. And that's because they wanted, they wanted there to be a witness to see that the Holy Spirit was advancing past the, the Jewish community into the Gentile community. Remember last week when Paul came to the church of Ephesus, they believed, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. It said Paul laid his hands on them, prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. In the same way, here, they laid their hands on them in Samaria, and they also received the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to explain. They're laying on the hands is a model. And I know laying on of hands can sound really weird to us, um, because all of that in context, if I were to say, if you come forward, I'm going to lay my hands on you and pray with you, it seems perfectly reasonable. If I were to say, I'm going to meet you in the back alley later, I'm going to lay my hands on you. That would sound a lot different, right? What it means is simply taking a moment to put a hand on your friend and say, I'm going to pray with you, and we're going to believe together. Now, the power does not come from the laying on of hands. The power comes from God. It's a template. If you look at the day of Pentecost, were there laying on of hands when the Holy Spirit came? No. If you look at the church in Galatia, there was no laying on of hands. It's simply a, temp a template. Don't get caught up in the process. But this is what Simon notices. He sees the laying on of hands. And this is where he gets confused. Read verse 18. It says, Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. First, we looked at the poison of distraction. Number two, let's look at the poison of control. The poison of control. When Simon saw what he assumed to be a power that someone else had, he wanted that power for himself. And we have to be very careful when it comes to ambition to receive and use the power that is given to us by God. You, you see, this is the background for Simon. Simon is a magician. Magicians want to know each other's secrets. Magicians pay for each other's secrets. So Simon thought, this will work the same way. I will give you money. You will tell me, you will give me the ability to work this power. The issue was not that he was giving money. The issue was what he was giving money for. He was wrong about how the gift of the Holy Spirit is given. This passage, it doesn't explicitly say that the Samaritans spoke in tongues. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, something was evident that was different. That Simon sees it and says, oh, that's a power that I want. There was some sort of outward manifestation. It is most likely that it was the tongues of the Holy Spirit. And so he saw this correlation when he lays his hands on people. When the disciples lay their hands on people, the Holy Spirit begins to manifest. So he thought he could control the release of the Holy Spirit. But we have to remember, we are not in charge. We are not in control of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And I know that we know that, but I wonder sometimes in our prayers, in our expectations, in our hopes, do we always act like that? We believe sometimes that God should answer our prayer, our way, in our time, with our method, right? But when we have that mentality, we think we're in control. We get mixed up on who is God and who is not. Do not allow the desire for control to poison the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And don't get me wrong, we have to be prepared in life for God to to partner with us. We have to be prayed up. We have to be equipped with the word of God, living a godly lifestyle, but we're not the one who opens doors. We are not the ones who break chains. We do not set captives free. That is only through the power of God in our life, and it is our privilege It is our honor that God desires to partner with us as sons and daughters to see his kingdom come to earth. It's pretty quiet today, church. I think today there are some of you that need to remove that burden of control. You can only do what you can do, but you have to surrender the results to God. I wonder if there are some moms and dads that you've been a godly example to your children. You've instructed them in the way that they should go, and now you have to surrender the results to God. I wonder if there are some businessmen and businesswomen that you have worked hard, you have worshipped God with your work, and you've you've worked in a moral, ethical manner, and, and now you have to surrender the results of your work to God. Students, you have to study hard. You've got to prepare. You've got to work hard. But the results are not in your hands. I'm asking you to lay down the burden of control because the need for power to control, it will destroy you. It will keep thinking, I'm not enough. It will keep thinking, I don't measure up. It'll keep comparing you to other people. You need to be at peace knowing that the God of the universe is in control and he has the best plans for you. I know for myself, I can research a message, I can write a message, I can practice it, I can pray. But after I preach this and do what I can only do, it's out of my control. The results of how it's received beyond that are out of my control. Sometimes I I get in doubt. I say, I didn't do very well, or or, I don't know what I did wrong. And and sometimes I'm I'm imperfect as as a communicator, but I know I have to release the results. I cannot get bogged down in those results because they'll always make me compare to someone else. We all have to surrender. And I gotta say, I'm very thankful for encouraging people that I get to preach to every Sunday morning. Other than today, you guys are really quiet today, but most days you're really, just kidding, I'm just kidding. You know, we can know all these things and still allow doubt to creep in. But when God reminds us who's in charge, who's in control, it lifts our spirits. Simon believed that he could gain this power to make people speak in the Holy Spirit by laying his hands on them. But that ambition, that desire for control was in opposition because it was an attempt to boast in himself rather than boasting in God. 
It was a desire to have control of something that only belonged to God. Simon could have the power of the Holy Spirit, but the power supply, the source of the power, it came from God, not from himself. Simon wanted to control the working of the Holy Spirit. He regarded the Holy Spirit as a power that he could use as he wants instead of a God who wanted to lead his life. Make it very clear, the Holy Spirit is not a power for us to control. He's the third part of the Godhead. He will do what he wants. He will do as he pleases. So I said Simon had, he had two misconceptions. First was that he believed the laying on of hands would cause the power. And the second issue is that he believed he could pay money in order to receive this ability. And Peter goes on to set him straight. He says this in verse 20. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter responds very strongly to Simon. He says, you you can keep your money. It's not going to buy you the power and the influence of God. Our third point is the poison of wealth. We cannot bribe God. We cannot use wealth to persuade God. I mean, think about it. What is wealth to God? You, you, you think you're doing pretty well? That's nothing compared to the wealth of God. You think Elon Musk is doing well? You think Bezos is doing well? It's nothing compared to the wealth of God. He doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Bible talks about money, and and listen, there is nothing wrong with wealth. I'm not preaching against wealth. I'm not preaching against having good things. But if you think you can obtain or earn God with your money, you're gravely mistaken. We use money to bless others. Abraham in the Old Testament, it says he was blessed in order to be a blessing. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Peter tells him, your heart's not right. The way you're using your wealth shows the desire of your heart. You see, it's not that Simon wanted to give the disciples money. The disciples would take up collections, offerings for money. Money so they could get from point A to point B and preach the gospel. Money to help widows and those in need. That wasn't the issue. It was why he was giving the money. It was the attachment with that money. The expectation. Do we do that with God? God, if I give to this, will you help me with this? If I give for that, will you help me with this? Peter says, your heart is not right. He says, you're in the bond of iniquity. What that means, essentially, your heart is unrighteous and you need to repent of this sin. Some would say that Simon was actually never a Christian. That this points to the fact that his heart was never right before God. And we could go back and forth, but my argument would be that he did believe, and yet he allowed his heart to move away from God. 
You might say, why is that, Matt? Because the Bible says he believed. It's that simple. If you look earlier, it says, even Simon believed. That Greek word believed, it's the same word believed used when Jesus would preach in the Gospels. It's the same word that says believed when, when Jesus spoke to the centurion and he said, let it be done for you as you have believed. It's the same word when Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. So I believe Simon did choose to believe. He wanted to be baptized. It says he followed after Philip. But yet we can also choose to turn away from the power that we have through the Holy Spirit to be poisoned by distractions like the crowd was or to be poisoned by control and wealth like Simon was. I think this is a greater message for us to know that Simon did believe and yet his heart could then turn later on if he wasn't careful. But I want to encourage you that even when his heart was not right, Peter said simply, you need to turn. You need to repent. Let's look at how Simon responded as we close. Alex, can you come up and play as we close? Let's read these last two verses together. It says, and Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The bottom line is that we really don't know for sure what happened to Simon after that. We don't know if he truly believed in the beginning. We don't know if he repented. I do find it concerning that Simon asked them to pray for him. Nothing wrong with having people pray with you, but we know in salvation, we ourselves have to make that decision to repent. We ourselves have to say, God, please forgive me and my sin, cleanse me. No one else in the room can do that for you. We don't know what happens to Simon, but what I wanna urge you with is this, from this story, is that the Holy Spirit is not to be controlled. It's a warning to us, a reminder that we have to choose to use the Holy Spirit in our life to realize that he has control, not us. It is on his power and his ability, not us. I believe that Simon did believe at first, but then allowed his heart to turn away from God to himself. It reminds me of the story of the parable of the sowers. The farmer would, would plant the seed. He would sow the seed and what some of the seed fell on good soil and they believed but some of the seed would fall on the rocks, on the thorns, it would get snatched up. It was not able to grow a root or continue. Let us be careful, let this be a reminder to us to let the word of God grow in our hearts to know that it's the Holy Spirit desiring to move in us, not allow the poison of distraction, the poison of wealth or control to get in the way. Would you stand with me as we close? I want to pray with you as we end this series. Remind ourselves to guard our hearts with the right intentions. I want to pray for each one. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're struggling with the poison of distraction, 
there have been things that come up and you're easily distracted. You could be focusing on God in one second. You can be good with your relationship with God one moment and the next day you're distracted and it keeps bothering you and hurting you. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I want to pray with you in mind today. Yes, I see the hand. I see the hand. Hands all over the place. Yep. Thank you. You can put your hands down. The next group of people, if you're struggling with control, if you'd say, I'm being honest, I've got some control issues. I want it to be about me instead of God. I want to have the power. I want God to answer my prayers the way I want right now. And I need to surrender that control. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? And say, I'm doing the best I can, but the rest of the control's got to go to God. Yep, I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you. One more group. If you're struggling with wealth and giving with attachments, rather than giving with just the desire to give to God and his kingdom. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I want to give just for the ability to have the joy to give to people. If that's you and you're struggling with the poison of wealth, would you slip up your hand? Yep, yep, I see that. Church, let's pray together as we close. God, I pray we come against these poisons that the enemy brings at us, the distractions the control, the wealth. I pray that you would help us to take every thought captive when it comes in to distract us, every moment that tries to occupy itself, to move itself in priority above you, God. I pray that you would help us Holy Spirit, speak to us in those moments to remind us that is a distraction from the enemy. That is not a word from me. Stay focused on my voice. Stay on the narrow path. I pray for those that want control, and it's so easy to want that control. God, we surrender it to you right now. We surrender the results of our parenting, of our work, of our life. We are just going to work hard to worship you with our life and believe you're going to take care of the rest. You are the God of the breakthrough. You are the God in the middle of our struggles. And would you give us the ability to break through that control? And lastly, I pray for those with wealth, for that attachment, that desire to use it how we want to. God, help us to use wealth to bless your kingdom, that we are blessed. We are such a blessed people that we want to be a blessing to other people. No attachments. We are giving simply out of a joy and a desire to honor you. I thank you for this group. I pray that you bless this church as they go out from today. Watch over them, guard them, and strengthen them. That we would continue to seek you, commit to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.